Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Hello and welcome to The Thinking Leader Podcast. My name is Producer James. I am the very, very uh, insubstantial stand-in for Marcus when he's not around. Unfortunately, he's not around again today, so I'm stepping in. I'm off the subs bench again. I'm joined by my good pal, Bryce Hoffman. And I am, for those of you who listen to these conversations and go, this is super articulate, super, super intelligent. I need a little bit more depth. I am the the layman who's going to help with the layman's terms of some of these episodes. And in this podcast, we're going to look back. We're going to cast our mind back all the way 18 months or so to the last 50 episodes because it's our 50th episode anniversary birthday. Um, there's only the two of us here, so it doesn't sound like a grandiose round of applause. Maybe my you can put maybe you can put some like graphics in some confetti, yeah, yeah, Maybe maybe Photoshop in, you know, like a crowd of excited like a big people. crowd. I like yeah, it. Yeah, like right. a Wembley-esque like stadium. I like it. It seems very apt. It is um, a big milestone, though, James. Fifty episodes. It's a, it's a lot of episodes. And do you know what? When we were looking back uh, a minute ago, I was, I was doing some research earlier on about you know what were the highlights. Not to sound like cheesy and cliche, like, oh, what do you choose? But it's been like genuinely very difficult. Some of the conversations recently about, you know, we've covered melting runways in the summer when you guys are in the UK and like how we just can't handle crisis situations, why war fails, um, the, the, the monetization of war, branding. We've had Alex Fass from coaching, uh, Alex from coaching.com, Rose Fass about chocolate conversations, the KFC debacle. That, and these are just in the last few months. And, right. You know, never mind some of the earlier episodes um, back in the day when you guys were just doing it as audio as well. So some amazing conversations, some amazing right. lessons and learnings. And uh, I'm, I'm going to pick your brain, Bryce, on what you learn from these conversations, because often these are people that you know oh, very well. But, yeah. you know, every time we do one of these conversations and the guest leaves and we talk about what's going to be included within the show notes and stuff, the conversation between you and Marcus and I like, I didn't know that. I hadn't thought about that. Or that's a completely new concept. Or we love how they brought up that kind of way of thinking. So that's what we're going to cover in this episode. So, yeah, and there's it's about- so true, James. I mean, I learn so much from our guests. I mean, that's one of the cool things about this is that I get to talk with some of these people who are just some such amazing thinkers, have such amazing ideas, such amazing insights, and and like like everyone who's listening or watching, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I'm learning so much myself. So. Yes, a lot of big learnings over the past uh, 50 episodes. That is one of the, the this sort of the secret benefits of podcasting. Obviously, I spend a lot of time, I spend every day in this space. But, you know, the ability to have a, a one-to-one, co- you know, imagine if you, you message, well, you're, you're different. You might be able to pull it off. But if I messaged, hey, Alan Mullally, could I just have 60 slash 120 minutes of your time? I'd love to just sit down with a coffee and just hear about your insights about running some of the world's biggest companies. Is that okay? The answer invariably is going to be no. But when you've got a podcast and a microphone in front of you, you can have these amazingly in-depth conversations. You can you know, imagine what you'd pay for Alan Mullally to, to, to coach you 
or consult for you or do strategy for you. It's amazing what you get. I, 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 can, I, I know how much people you know pay for that. And it's, it's a lot. It's a lot, James. Yeah, but uh, it is. But you're right. And Alan has been so generous. You know, I mean, he, he was our very first guest, episode number one, back when it was audio only, when it was just me. And, and he's been on several times and he shared so many amazing insights. He's talked about leading through crisis. That was episode number one was, you know, mm-hmm. how do you as a leader in the midst of COVID deal with, with all of the things that are coming at you and keep your company moving forward successfully in, this, in the face of all of this kind of withering uncertainty and chaos. So he talked about the lessons that he learned running Boeing after 9-11 when Boeing's order book disappeared within 24 mm-hmm. hours as the world's airlines canceled their orders for new planes. He talked about leading Ford as CEO of Ford through the global financial crisis in 2007, 8, 9, and turning the company around in the midst of that, all of that. And he gave so many great lessons about how you just need to, to, to remain focused on your long-term plan, calm down, don't run around with your hair on fire, have the confidence that you have the, the, the systems in place to run your organization, that they're going to serve you well even in the midst of crisis, adjust as necessary. That was powerful stuff. Then he came back and talked to us about his his business plan review process, which is which people all over the world, you talk about paying. I mean, people pay a huge amount of money to have Alan teach them how to do the, the BPR process. You can listen to the two episodes he did on the BPR process and, and learn it right there and for free. And so that was an amazing thing, learning all the details of how his BPR process worked and also learning about how he stayed, how he avoided complacency as a leader, continued to challenge himself and challenge the organizations he ran. So that was that was a really, we got a lot of great learnings from Alan. Have you been surprised at the level of depth of knowledge and how open the, some of the guests will be? Because obviously your your background is in sort of not investigative journalism, but very in-depth. You know, it wasn't just a quick article. You were doing very yeah. deep and meaningful pieces, you know, looking at the likes of an Alan, for example. I remember you told me um, previously when we weren't recording about a time when, um, you know, so, some of the other people that you've worked with, who I think it was someone involved in Toyota. Who'd yeah, Akio Toyota we were talking about, yeah. Shut down the production line. And so you, you've had an, an experience of seeing people in their – in their sort of like their native environment almost. And you've got to yeah. really sort of get underneath the bonnet. Sorry for the, uh, all the automotive analogies here. I'm going to see how many of them I can squeeze in. Um, but are you surprised at like retrospectively how much someone like an Alan is willing to share on a podcast or how much information you actually like valuable information and insights you get from someone like that? Well, it's an interesting point you make, James. I mean, because that's, you know, this is the only thing I miss about being a journalist and I was a journalist, business journalist for 20 years, was getting to sit down with people like this and pick their brains and find out how they did things and, and what their views on, 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 on the world was and how to make things work and all this cool stuff. And the podcast is, is just like that. It's an opportunity to sit down again with these people and just kind of listen to them and learn from them. But the cool thing is, is that, is that our listeners and viewers get to listen and learn with us. And that's, that's the real cool thing, because, you know, when you're working for a newspaper, there's so much that ends up on the cutting room floor and it's still golden. But when you're listening to the podcast, you're getting everything, you're getting the whole, the, the, the full Monty. 
And, uh, and that's really powerful. So that's, you know, so, so absolutely. It, it's really cool to be able to do that. And like I said, I, I, I love learning from other people. That's, that's why I became a journalist in the first place. And like I said, it's the one thing I really missed when I quit journalism back in 2013. So I'm happy that to be able to do it again. Sorry to keep turning the spotlight on you, but I've just thought of something that I find really interesting from a from a psychological perspective. The difference, what's the difference for you uh, now versus then? When back in the day, you know, you could spend time, like literally on, uh, you know, in in the factories with the senior higher ups of Toyota. You know, you spent time with Alan when you were creating American Icon. You know, you doing the research for the books and stuff like that. But back in those days, you do these in depth you get these insights and these wisdoms from these people, but effectively the only benefit to you other than loving to sort of bring their story to life for the readers that you were you know, creating for, you couldn't really implement a lot of that other than to just become a better journalist effectively or a better storyteller. What's the difference now when you hear the insights and the wisdoms, you're like, I can actually deploy that now and make a meaningful impact on the, the, the clients and the consultancy stuff that, that you guys do as a business as well. Is it, do you lift, listen for a different lens? That is. I love I love your questions, James. So I'm just nosy. I'm no, just no, it, nosy. It's, no. Th- th- this is something that's so interesting. I used to tell people that the worst job in the world, in some ways, was being a business journalist writing for a print newspaper in the U.S. in the mid 2000s. <laughs> and the reason why is because. I, I spent years learning how to run businesses from the biggest business leaders in the world. I used to cover Intel. I got to sit with Andy Grove when he was, you know, legendary leader of Intel. I, I got to 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 work with Akio Toyota when he was at Toy, you know, when when he was in California. Al Mulally at Ford, Sergio Marchionne at, uh, at at Fiat Chrysler. All these these just tight Titanic business thinkers. And then I'd go back to the office and watch the people around me run their business into the ground. <laughs> and, and, and there's nothing I could say about it because if I went to the, if I went to the executive offices and knocked on the door and said, Hey, you know, this new initiative we're launching, I have some ideas that might make this better. They'd be like, you're a reporter, get back to work and, and, and finish your story. I don't want to, you know, what do you, and, and I, I, that happened to me. Like I took, I took publishers aside and say, you know, Hey, you know, I, I have some ideas about how we could kind of stop our hemorrhaging cash and stuff here that I'd like to share with you. And they'd look at me like, don't you belong in front of a computer typing a story? And and they didn't get that I was spending my days sitting with 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 these people who knew more than 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 all the newspaper publishers in the world combined about how to run a, a profitable business. And that maybe I might have picked something up from all of that. And, and that was incredibly frustrating, but also I didn't realize myself too, what I was getting from that, because I, I remember vividly, James, the conversation that led me to quit my job as a journalist. So I'd written my first book, I'd written American Icon and which is about how Alan Mulally saved Ford Motor Company. And this guy, this guy called me up and he said, uh, Hey, I, you know, I read your book. It's fascinating. I'd like to, like to take you out to breakfast. A lot of people called me up. I mean, the book was a bestseller. There was a lot of people calling me and, and, and asking me to come, you know, talk to them or want to, you know, tell me how much they like the book and stuff. And it was very flattering, but also 
you learn pretty quickly that, you know, it's not, not the best strategy in the world to answer all those calls. So then, he, so I didn't, re, I didn't respond to him. And then he, and then he kind of sent me another message that I'm friends with Alan. And, and so I was like, okay, now you have my attention. So turned out he was the, he, he ran Dale Carnegie. He had the Dale Carnegie franchise for, for Southeast Michigan. Amazing guy. And, um, and we met for, for, for breakfast and he told me how much he liked the book and stuff. We started talking and he looked across at the table at me and I still remember this. He said, why are you a journalist still? <laughs> I said, well, I mean, it's literally what I do for a living. So, I mean, you know, you know, it, it's, you know, it's a bit late, bit late for, for me to go and be a brain surgeon at this point or something like that. And he's like, he, he said, I cannot think of a less profitable thing for you to be doing with your life than continuing to be a newspaper reporter. And, oh. and, and I was like, well, you know, appreciate that. But I, I knew, I knew that I wasn't going to make a fortune when I became a newspaper reporter in the first place. He's like, no, no, I don't mean profitable in terms of dollars in your pocket, though. I do mean that too. He said, I mean, profitable for the world. And, 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 and I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, he said, I've been listening to your stories and stuff. He says, you have over, over the 20 years you've been a business journalist, you have been inside of hundreds of companies. You've sat with the biggest business leaders in the world and some of the worst business leaders in the world. And you've seen what worked and what didn't work. He said, that knowledge would benefit a lot of people, a lot of other businesses. And he said, you, you, you should, you should quit your job and, 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 start working with as a strategic advisor to companies. And I was like, I, I, why would anyone hire me? I've never run a company. And he said, yeah, but you've sat with, <laughs> you've sat and learned from people who have run the biggest companies in the world and you have so much to share with it. So that, that was kind of an epiphany for me um, to realize that, yeah, I, I did pick up a lot from that. And a lot of that learning, by the way, then got distilled into red team thinking and into my second book and into my whole, my whole approach to decision-making was, was distilled from, from what I learned from all those people. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. Cause I, I know we were supposed to be talking about the, the top right. 50 moments. So I was like, I can't not go down that rabbit hole because I, I was like, <laughs> I, what must it have been like? Like, like the guy from Dale Carnegie has been saying, it must be super frustrating. I'm, I'm Ralph Nichols, by the way, was his name. Ralph Nichols. Great guy. Ralph Nichols. Shout yeah. out to Ralph Nichols. Thanks for yeah. asking the question. Is it interesting how one question phrased in the right way at the right time by the right person can entirely change the direction of your life? I quit my, I quit my job that I had, I quit my career that I'd, I'd put over 20 years into, you know, a few months later as a result of that conversation. Wow. Did, did that just fester that question? Did it, did it, did it hit the nerve straight away or was it like kept dripping it, it, away? It, right away. I mean, like I, I, I didn't have an answer for him. I stared across the table and was like, well, and then I said, I, I said, Ralph was an amazingly generous guy to me. Um, and he, I, I said, you know, I, I don't know how to do that. You know, I, I, I know how to write stories. I know how to interview people. And he said, well, you know, he said, I have a company that does a whole training program on how to, how to lead effectively and how to communicate effectively. And he said, I'll comp you the entire course because I believe in what you have to share. And I was <laughs> okay. Wow. And that's what I did. 
The power of conversations, bringing yeah. it back to the podcast, and the power of conversations. Um, I've taken yeah. you off on a bit of a random tangent there, so I think this is a nice place. We'll we'll stop for a breather. We'll stop for a, for a realignment of the mission of this podcast, because right. God knows otherwise I've hijacked it too much. Uh, join us when we come back, because we're going to be talking about some of the other highlights from the last 50 episodes, some amazing conversations, and we're going to tell you the highlights after this. Hey, folks, Bryce here. If you're listening to this and you're liking what you're hearing and you're wondering, am I a red team thinker? We have an easy way for you to find out. Just go to the show notes, click on the link there to our free assessment to find out if you are a red team thinker and what you can do to think more effectively, to lead more effectively, and to make better decisions faster in your complex world. Like I said, the link is in the show notes, or you can simply go to our website, redteamthinking.com. Check it out. I can't wait to see how you score. Welcome back to the Thinking Leader podcast. I'm no longer hijacking this for my own guilty pleasure of asking really in-depth questions to Bryce. We're now going to get to the mission and the vision of the actual podcast and dive, dive even further in some of the highlights from the last 50 episodes. So if you don't mind, Bryce, cast your mind right back to those heady days where it was just you winging it audio only without all the fancy videos and all the other kind of cool stuff around the podcast that you now have what were some of the, any of the standout guests from those early days? You're like, oh, that was a powerful conversation. Any spring to mind? Well, they, all of the conversations were, were, were great. And I learned something from all of them. But one that really has to be right up there at the top is Dr. Gary Klein, uh, one of the leading cognitive psychologists in the world, the father of naturalistic decision making, and the creator of, of one of my favorite red teaming tools, pre-mortem analysis. And we had a, I had a great conversation with, with Gary. It was it was uh, you know pretty early in the pandemic, and we we spent the conversation talking about how to navigate as a leader this crazy world that we were all in, and and we had a wonderful conversation. And the and the thing that that I still tell people, I still tell leaders today, that Gary said in that conversation was he says there's two things that you can't do as a leader right now, and it's still true. He said one is you can't, you can't uh, wait and see what happens. And, and this was this was a while. Ago. He's like, you know, you can't wait and see what happens because this this he said back then. He said this pandemic isn't gonna, we're not going to be out the other side of this for a long time, and and the disruption that it's created is going to continue as well, even if the pandemic ends. So so you can't sit on the sidelines and wait. You have to you have to think about how you're going to readjust your organization to meet these challenges. But the other thing he says you can't do, James, is you can't gather your team together, come up with a plan about how you're going to deal with, with the challenges you're facing, make a decision on it, and then go play golf. Because odds are, with the world changing as fast as it is now, that by the time you, you send out the memo to your, to your team saying, this is what we decided, let's do X, Y, and Z, something else has happened, and Z no longer makes sense. Now you have to do alpha or A. And, and, and his point was that you have to recognize as a leader that you're not that the, the decision-making is not a linear process that has a start and a stop. It's something you have to keep doing, keep adjusting, keep correcting course, like a blind man trying to cross the street with a cane tapping in front of you saying, okay, all good here, all good here. Well, all of a sudden there's a pothole in front of me here. So 
I need either go right or left. So I'm going to tap here. Uh, I'm going to go left. I go left. Okay, now I can keep going forward. But oh, well, I hear a car coming. I better stop for a second and let that car pass. And, you know, hopefully you make it to the other side of the street in one piece. That's how leaders have to deal with this crazy world that we live in, this VUCA world we live in today. So that was a big, that was a big one, Dr. Gary Klein. And similarly, related to that, uh, we had Dave Snowden on, the creator of the Kinefin framework, which is one of my favorite uh, tools. And, and Dave and I talked about the same topic, about how to, how to, how to make decisions in this amazingly complex world we live in. And uh, he talked about the proper role of a leader in crisis is to make a few big decisions up front and then get out of the way uh, and let the team execute those. Because if you is if you if you keep if you keep being the one who has to decide everything, you're going to slow down decision making at a time when it needs to be rapid. So. Uh, he gave the example at the time. He said that he thought the, that the that, and I still think this: the country that was handling the pandemic the best and the leader who had done the best job handling it was Jacinda. Um, what's her last name? Oh, from, from New, New Zealand. Zealand. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, and uh, and and he pointed out that you know, first weeks of the pandemic, she basically broke the law and said, "I don't have the authority to do these things, but we're going to shut down." you know, travel, we're going to do all of this stuff. And then she got out of the way and, and, and let let the, the apparatus of government do these things. And, and, you know, I know that I have cousins in New Zealand and they complain about, you know, how restrictive things got there. But at the same time, we had a handful of people die from, from COVID and their economy didn't tank. And, you know, that's a pretty enviable place to be compared to the rest of us in the US and the UK and elsewhere where our economies in, in tatters and and and, you know, a staggering number of people have died over a million people in the U S alone. And so that was a great, a great conversation too. And that's the thing. These, you know, these are, even though that was, you know, about two years ago, we had that conversation, that advice is still relevant today to leaders dealing with, with, with crises. And in fact, you know, I just, I just wrote a, a short piece about uh, Jacinda and her team just did another amazing thing dealing with, with, with uh, smoking. In New Zealand, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, they just passed a law creating a lifetime ban on smoking for kids. Now, let me unpack that for a second because it's, it's like lifetime ban on smoking for kids. I mean, aren't kids banned on smoking anyways? For what it is is, I don't I don't remember if it was 2006 or 2009. If you're born after 2009, you can never buy cigarettes in New Zealand. And really? so think about this. Think about the genius of this. Nobody who smokes is being told they can't smoke. And, and, and so what's going to happen is as the law advances 50 years from now, if you want to buy cigarettes in New Zealand, you have to show your ID and prove that you're over like 67 years old. So nobody who smokes is being told they can't buy cigarettes. But no one who doesn't smoke can buy cigarettes ever again. It's a genius solution to a problem that has, you know, countries all over the world struggle with. So again, that was a great conversation. So many good conversations. And does that does that conversation there and sort of leading on to the the sort of the smoking ban for life and again the lessons that have come up again and again within this podcast, is that a sign of leadership that 
is not for sale and leadership that is not for swaying by outside forces. Because if you tried to pass that law in the US or the UK or a lot of you know, South America where, you know, smoking is still through the roof, that's not getting through. That rule is never getting through because of the lobbyists right. and the professional regulation creators who work for big tobacco brands. So yep. is, is what that decision in, this, in New Zealand, is that a sign of what leadership at its best looks like when it's not swayable. Yeah, I think so. When it's when 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 leaders are actually able to function as leaders, not as agents of powerful lobbying groups. Mm, very yeah. interesting. And, and actually, do you, do you know what you sort of mentioned a couple of reference points of leadership tactics that you know, were mentioned two years ago. But very recently, I chatted to Marcus about some of sort of his backstory in an episode that by the time this goes out, people would have been able to listen to and the exact tactics of you can't wait, or you have to know the length of time you've got to make the decision and then make those decisions up front and then step back and leave people. is exactly the experience he had in war zones. So it's yeah. interesting that, that that leadership style still exists and still is still as powerful now in a corporate environment as it is in in, in times of war, in times of, you know, when you really need those that leadership, I guess that's the, the time when leadership needs to lead at its very best. We're all in times of war now. That's the thing. I mean, mm. we all have to have that mindset as leaders now because there's so much coming at us. You've got, well, you've got the actual war in Ukraine, which is impacting organizations all over the world, far from, from, from you, the front lines in Ukraine. You've got the pandemic is still with us. And I mean, you know, here in 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 uh, California, they're debating whether to, to reimpose mask mandates because the hospitals are filling up again. Because now you've got COVID, the flu, and this respiratory virus all hitting at once. Um, we've got the global climate crisis, climate disruption, which is impacting everything, and we are on the precipice of a major financial collapse globally that could be bigger than what we saw in two thousand eight, and so. I, you know, I think you have to have that, that mindset if you're going to be a leader. So you're absolutely right. And so many of our guests, so many of our guests talk about that. I mean, you know, another military leader that we had on that I really enjoyed the conversation was Captain David Marquette, former nuclear submarine commander, author of the book, Turn the Ship Around. And here again is a, is a guy whose whole thing was about leading other leaders, helping his team tell him what to do rather than him telling his team what to do. And, and, and he ended up having one of the most successful submarines in the U S Navy. That was, that was a great example of that. And uh, you know, I, we, we had a great conversation with Michael Kleeman, good friend of mine, very deep thinker who talked about how hard it is this goes right back to what we were just talking about with New Zealand and Smoke Man, how hard it is for, for governments and businesses to make decisions about complex problems and, and how they kind of quail in front of them. But you don't have to. There's ways that you could tackle these things. And New Zealand just showed, again, how you tackle a problem if you approach it with a critical thinking, with the open mind, with, without you know, thinking differently about the problem. And so that was another great conversation we had. That one for me, I was sat in the background of that one, sort of uh, doing this sort of the edit live. And that one, there's certain conversations that make you just sit back. I, I, I normally take notes. I'm like, okay, that's going to be a good clip and that timing works and all the rest of it. And I remember within the Michael episode, I actually just put my pen down and I was like, 
it's, this is going to sound maybe a bit grandiose. I was like, you're, you get the opportunity to live sit in the presence of a genuinely great thinker. Yes. Like, like genius level thinker. Just right. don't try and take a note. Don't try and conceptualize it. Don't try and get the 60 second clip from it. Just, just let this level of intellect wash over you. I hope that some of it would stick. It didn't, but it was just that, that was. It's all right. You can go back and listen to it. That's the beauty of it, James, is you can go back and watch the video, go back to listen to it. It'll stick. There yeah, you go. That was an amazing conversation. Yeah. That was an amazing conversation. Yeah, um, and he's was. an amazing thinker. And, you know, speaking of conversations, we had a great conversation recently about conversations with Rose Fass, the, the president of Fast Forward. And, talked about how how important conversations are to leadership and how how mastering the conversations that you have as a leader is, with your teams is so essential as she put it and I love this this is something again that I've been sharing with people ever since she we had her on the show is she said there's no such thing as casual conversations anymore mm. for leaders and that is so true that is so true yeah, she was very, very right. Look, I got to be, we got to work, walk towards wrapping up because otherwise we could talk about every episode for That's true. hours and hours. I'm going to, I'm going to pick a favorite and then, okay. and then you can pick a favorite. Okay. Um, for me, so my background, as well as the podcasting space, I've worked with big, big brands doing broadcast PR. So brand broadcast PR for the last 16, 17 years. I've worked with Nando's, Thomas Cook, Nissan, Xbox, Nintendo, the Mars Group, all these huge, huge brands and companies. So I think I know a thing or two about, Branding, broadcast, and, and creation of message. Justin Foster oh, blew yeah. my flipping mind. And I was like, <laughs> do I know anything about branding? Have I been thinking about the psychology of branding the wrong way for my entire career for 17 years? That, for me, was one of the best conversations on branding that I've probably ever heard. Justin is a branding genius. He's our branding consultant. He's a good friend of mine. I actually met him through working with Rose Fast. Justin is, is, he is just this, this guy, and we talked about this on the podcast, who has this amazing ability to talk with you for an hour, for a day, whatever it is, and then shoot out like a, a, a seven word, like truth bomb. Like a, it's like a cruise missile of truth that just goes right to the target and explodes. And, and he helped you know, I mean, he, as we talked about on the, on the episode, he helped me frame what red team thinking was all about. He came to San Francisco. Um, we spent the, we spent the weekend together, just going around the city talking. He was, you know, just asking me questions about what I was trying to do with, with red team thinking. He, he, he read the book. We talked a lot about it. And then we were sitting at, at cafe Trieste and, and having, having a cappuccino, one morning and he just looked at me and he said, you know what red team thinking is? There's a fog of bullshit that every organization creates around itself by telling itself comforting lies rather than dealing with, and, and the fog is there to prevent them from having to confront the hard truths they don't want to deal with. And he said, what you do with red team thinking is you come into organizations and you dispel the fog, you pull, you, you, you blow the fog away and you say, look, folks, Here's the truth. We got to deal with it. Here's let's, how are we going to deal with it? And then you give people tools to deal with it. I mean, that was, that was, you know, it took him 20 seconds, 15 seconds to say that. And he summed up 
everything that I've been working for the past several years and working with Marcus on to do, uh, well, just before I met, started working with Marcus, actually, um, everything that, that I've been working on uh, to do in one sentence, in one, in one, in one little pithy image there. And that stuck with me. And it's so true. So that J Justin is, is amazing. Sitting in a cafe in a, in a foggy San Francisco, yes. no doubt. It's almost like prophetic fallacy in movies. He probably waited for the, he probably, he probably nailed it within the first five minutes of the conversation. He just had to wait <laughs> till you were ready. Right. Right. And probably the, ready, the mask will appear with the answer. Now that you mentioned it, literally the fog was dissipating that morning as we were having our cappuccino. So there you go. That's there you go. Great. Um, so that was one. That was probably one. I'm not going to pick a favorite because it's like choosing a favorite kid. You shouldn't. Do yeah, it. I mean, I was like, when you said that, I was like, boy, I, I, there's so many favorites, but one that I just want to say that that again, I continue to talk to people about a lot these days was Rebecca Harding, um, wonderful economist, yes, talking about the weaponization of trade, and again, just a, a concept that is so important for business leaders to understand was that she said every business in the world has become a foot soldier voluntarily or involuntarily in the, in the, in the geopolitical struggles that are going on right now between the U S Russia and China. And it's, and, and her point was that if you don't understand that you're going to be dragged along by events. So you, the sooner you understand that and the sooner you start to get your head around that, the more effective you can be in dealing with that reality that we live in today and talking about the weaponization of trade. That was such a, that's such a big concept. So that was a great one. So many good ones. I mean, you know, we, we've talked with, with, with so many great people and we've learned so much from them. 50 episodes sounds like a lot, but I'm hoping that it's just the beginning, James, and that uh, 50 episodes from now, we're going to have an amazing number of great uh, leaders that we're going to be able to talk about from the last, the next 50. That's what I'm absolutely. looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're going to do, guys, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, then here in the YouTube, on YouTube, you see within the caption, there'll be links to those specific episodes. If they weren't recorded on video, we'll link through to the audio. And if you're listening to the podcast, there'll be links in the show notes so you can listen to all of those amazing conversations again. Um, Bryce, thank you for your time. Thank you for taking me down 18 months worth of memory lane. Um, I'm going to have to go back and it's when you have these conversations, you remember little different parts of those podcasts. I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to a lot of these. Um, Me too. Definitely, def Me too. definitely Justin Foster. I listen to Justin Foster quite regularly, especially if someone's <laughs> going to ask, if I know I'm going to get quizzed myself on a podcast about branding, I sometimes will just tap back into that just so I can sound more intelligent than I actually am. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for, for joining me for this. I say joining me as your podcast. Thanks for letting me join you. Is, I it's guess, our the right, podcast. The right it's grammar. All, it takes a village. All right, James. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome stuff, guys. We Click the link in the show notes now for more information. We'll be back for the next episode of The Thinking Leader, episode 51. Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode there. You'll also find a link to our free assessment. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.